Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Tony presents the Philip Morris Crime Doctor. Here comes Johnny, ladies and gentlemen, in his red coat and brass button. Johnny, jumping out of store windows and counters all over America to introduce the Philip Morris Crime Doctor Program to all new people at home, as well as our men and women in service, wherever this program reaches them. Another of Max Morrison's crime doctor dramas. Brought to you by the makers of Philip Morris cigarettes. Hello, Phil. Glad I found your home. Oh, come on in, Herb. Hi, Lillian. Hello, Herb. How's tricks? Oh, not so good. People don't believe it no more when you tell them you're hungry and ask them for a dime for a cup of coffee. All you get nowadays is a husky guy like you ought to be ashamed of himself panhandling. There's plenty of work in the war plants. That's what they tell you. Eh, ain't so good with us neither. There's a love. I've been telling you right along, Phil. There's something wrong with a town when you can't walk into a store without being followed around by the dicks. You wouldn't believe it, Herb, how me and Lil work the stores all day today without picking up a single item. He's telling you the truth, Herb. So if you came here to make a touch... No, 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 Lil. I, I I, don't want to make a touch for no dough. I thought maybe I could borrow something else. What? You and Phil keep a gun in the house, don't you? Yeah. Me and Lil's each got a gun. Would you lend me one of them? Well, what do you want to do with it? Use it? Hey, if you're going to tie it and stick up... No, man. no, I ain't going to stick nobody up. Well, then what do you want a gun for? Gonna kill a guy. Uh, not with our gun, you're not. Me and Phil ain't letting ourselves get in that kind of a jam. Oh, you're a sucker, too, Herb. You get yourself into a mighty jam. Look, Phil, I've been waiting for this chance. Five years I've been waiting for it. Five years? It's a long time to carry a grudge. <laughs> You'd carry it, too, all the rest of your life if somebody did to you what I had done to me. It's been awful dirty. Was there a girl mixed up in it? Yeah, sure was. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? Pulled a pretty good job at a pal of mine, Eddie Brookleaf, swell Peter man. Though I the safe wasn't made, he couldn't get into. We made a pretty good haul, and we got away clean. It, that's what I thought. Three days after we pulled the job, I was walking along the street. Hello, Herb. What's your hurry? What do you want, copper? The inspector wants to see you down at headquarters. What for? Don't ask me. My instructions will pick you up and bring you in. Now, wait a minute. They got nothing on me. I ain't done nothing. Come along, Herb. Don't make any trouble. You're just going to see my girl. You let me telephone her, couldn't you? No, I couldn't. Have a heart, will you, copper? It's her birthday today. I was just going to that flower shop over there to send her some flowers. Look, you can come in with me while I buy them. Come on, will you? Okay. 
I'll go in with you. Look, Inspector. I told you over and over and over again. You got the wrong guy. I was on my way to see my girl. Yes, yes, sure, Herb, I know. When you stopped off to send her a dozen white roses. When my men went to her house to ask her to them, she'd cleared out. Now, maybe you'll tell me the flowers weren't a signal for her to beat it. They was for her birthday, that's all. All right. Was she in on that safe job with you? Look, I told you, Inspector. Now, listen, Herb, you'll make it a lot easier for yourself if you'll tell me who pulled the job with you. I didn't pull the job, Inspector. I don't know nothing about it. And maybe you'll tell me also that you don't know how your fingerprints came to be found on the windowsill of the room where the safe was. All I know, Inspector, is that I'm innocent. Okay. You can tell it to the judge. Fifteen minutes is all you can have with the prisoner. That's a prison rule. Gee, Herb, that judge certainly threw the book at you. Yeah. Five to ten years. Oh, it's it's okay, Claire. Well, with time off for good behavior, I'll be out in three years and four months. I could have got off with a lighter sentence if I'd peached on Eddie, but... Yes, I know. They had me down at headquarters for six hours. They let me go because they had nothing on me. Claire, you gonna wait for me? I'll be waiting for you, Herb. Even if you served all the ten years. Okay. Okay, honey. It was a lucky break for me that I left most of my share of the dough from the last job with Eddie, huh? He sent me five grand. I spent two for your trial. I got three left. Okay. Keep it. Let Eddie mind the rest while I come out. I sent the three thousand I had left back to Eddie, too. I'm going to work while you're away, Herb. Pulling jobs won't be so easy for you after you come out. You'll be on parole and have to report what you do. Yeah, the girl was right. Just letting a guy on a parole ain't what it's cracked up to be. One wrong move and you're back in a crack. What I want to know, Herb, was the girl waiting for you when you came out? Yeah, Lil. She was right there at the big house when the gate opened for me. Gee, I know a lot of guys who thought their girls were waiting for them. You're the first one I know of who found her there. I knew she'd be there, Phil. She never missed one visitor's day to come up and see me. Going back to the small town where she come from and went to live with a married brother. I wanted to come to the city with me and get married, but no, she insisted that I go to the hometown with her. Not till I'd gotten on the train with her. We were riding along. Just tell me what. Don't you see, Herb? I don't want you to go back to the city in the old life. Now. Nobody knows you where I come from, and you can start all over again. Well, your brother knows me. What's he going to say? I promised him we wouldn't get married till he had a talk with you. Now, look, Claire. The first thing I got to do is see Eddie and get the money he's keeping for me. $38,000. That's enough to give us a new start. Herb, we're not going to start with that money. Why not? I hate to tell you this on your first day out, but I haven't heard from Eddie since the day I gave him the 3000 I had left over. Well, you know where he is, don't you? No, I don't. Said he'd keep in touch with me, but he hasn't. Hey, wait a minute. You mean he skipped with my dough? I don't know what to make of it. Gee, I thought he was the one person you could trust. Well, haven't you tried to locate him? I tried, all right. None of the old crowd has heard a word from him. Oh. So that's how it is, huh? Well, if Eddie thinks he can pull a stunt like that on me, he's crazy. I'm going to find that guy, Claire. Yeah. The last thing I ever do. 
hello, Sam. I was just going over to your house to see Claire. Yeah, I know. Herb, I, uh, came over here to have a talk with you before you see my sister again. Okay, come in. I'll give it to you straight, Herb. I've been talking to Claire. I've been trying to stop her from wrecking her life by marrying you. Claire knows what she's doing. Besides, what business is it of yours? I'm a brother, Herb. Anything she does reflects on me and my kids. You have an ounce of decency left in you. You'd help me show Claire what a mistake she's made. Claire and I love each other. Herb, if I loved the girl and I was in your position, I'd want to give her a break. I wouldn't ask her to go through life with me at any rate till I make good. I'm going to make good. We've been out three weeks now. What have you been doing? All right. A little matter to attend it. Somebody i got to find. Yeah, Claire told me all about it. Suppose, suppose you do find Eddie Brooklyn. What are you going to do, Herb? What do you do with a rat who double-crosses you? All right, suppose you kill him. Where does that leave Claire? Don't you see, Herb, the only decent thing you do is take yourself out of Claire's life? Look, Sam. Look, I'll tell you something, Sam. I've been laying awake nights thinking, thinking about it. That's why I haven't slipped away with Claire and married her. I don't know this instant just what I'm going to do, but look, if I should quietly disappear out of her life, I want you to promise me that you'll explain it to me. Tell her I... Clive, did you let that brother talk? You've been leaving her after she went for you all the time you was in a crank? Yeah, Phil, I just disappeared out of her life. Well, if you ask me, I think you did right. She only have kept on nagging you to go straight. Well, I... I went looking for Eddie. I panhandled my way out to the coast and back, hoping to meet up with him. Last night I saw him. Where? Coming out of a nightclub. Who do you think was with him? Claire. Yeah, Claire. They got into a taxi before I could get near him. Some night they'll go back to that nightclub again. I want to be there when they come out, too. That's why I've got to have a gun. <laughs> Before continuing with the Philip Morris Crime Doctor, every car owner faithfully taking care of his tires today knows that seemingly tiny differences bring tremendously important results. Small difference in air pressure or wheels set a tiny bit out of line can needlessly hasten the day when, bam, no more tires and no more use of your car. Yes, vast differences exist in your cigarettes, too. The proof of that comes not from us, but from a group of distinguished doctors who found that when smokers change to Philip Morris, substantially every case of irritation of the nose throat due to smoking either cleared up completely or definitely improved. To the doctors of America, these findings were reported in a leading medical journal. Now, we do not claim curative powers for Philip Morris, but these findings certainly do scientifically prove Philip Morris are less irritating to the nose and throat. And so you enjoy not only finer flavor and fragrance, but in addition, extra protection. There is a difference that is highly important to you. Or putting it another way, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And Philip Morris' superiority is recognized by eminent, Medical authority. 
no other cigarette can make that statement. We now continue with the Philip Morris Crime Doctor. Waiter. Waiter. I don't know what more I can do, Eddie. I've been to all of Herb's old friends. I found his married sister. None of them has heard a word from him. He disappeared as completely as you did, Eddie. I don't know what more I can do, Claire. I've had private detectives searching for him. I've advertised in newspapers all over the country. You and I have visited every place in town where he might drop into. I don't know what else to do. You'd only got word to me while Herb was still up in the big house. I couldn't risk it. How did I know they weren't watching you? I had to wait five years before making a move. With no warrant out for me and no indictment against me, I'd have been crazy to take a chance before I was covered by the statute of limitations. You mean they can't do anything to you now? No. Not even if they got all the evidence in the world against me. Funny, isn't it? Herb out looking for you and you looking for Herb. Yeah. I often thought what he'd say when he found out that the 38 grand I was mining for him had now grown into 51,000. Oh, we, we may be flat broke. Yeah. Or back at prison somewhere. I hate to think about it. You look, Claire. The chances are all against our ever seeing Herb again. Let's think of us now. You and me. We both played fair with Herb. He may not even be alive. I thought of that. Claire. Let, let, let's look ahead. Here's a chance for both of us. I know I'm much older than you, but... Will you marry me? Eddie. Please. Please, let's wait a little while. All right, Claire, but you know how I feel. I think we better be going now. I've got to be back at work tomorrow morning. Oh, uh, waiter. Uh, yes, sir? My check, please. Oh, yes, here it is, sir. Hey, you uh, Keep the chain. Oh, thank you, sir. You ready, dear? Yes. All right, let's go. I'll run upstairs and get my coat. Uh, while you're getting it, I'll get a taxi. It'll probably take a few minutes. Well, I'll be waiting right here for you. Oh, are you leaving, sir? Yes, George. It was a good dinner. Thank you. Taxi! Hey, taxi! Hey, mister. I haven't eaten since since yesterday. Could you lend... Hey, you moocher. If I ever see you hanging around here again, I will run you in. Wait right here a minute, taxi. Driver. Remember me? You're back here mooching again. If that cop catches no, you no, around no. here. I I've been waiting for you to come back to the taxi stand. I wasn't mooching. The guy dropped the key when he came out of the restaurant. I was gonna hand it back to him. You know where I could find him? Oh, where'll I take a look at my sheet? Let's see. Uh, oh, here it is. Get out in front of 521 Hancock Place. Okay. Thanks, mister. What do you want? Well, you don't recognize me, huh? Hey, you dirty double-crossing rat. <laughs>
My men made a thorough search of the apartment, Dr. Ordway. Mm-hmm. The only clue they found was the name and address of a girl named Claire Beekman. So I've sent somebody out after her. Why was the body lying when your officer got here, Inspector? On the floor of this room, over near the door. Mm-hmm. The uh, position indicated that the man was shot near the door and fell slantwise with his head towards the window facing the street over I see. And the gun was lying in the middle of the room, about six feet from the body. How many shots were fired from him? Only one, Dr. Ordway. Bullet went straight through the body. It was found in the room on the floor, about, oh, four feet from the body. I see the apartment's on the ground floor. Yeah, that's right. The assassin could have escaped either by the front or the rear window. Well, he could have escaped through the door, couldn't he? Yes, yes. The door was open when the policeman on the beat got here. He heard a shot and ran across the street. Saw a man coming out of the house. He stopped him and held him. Yes? I've got him in the next room. Some years ago, I sent him up for robbery. Oh? We never did find out who his confederates were. Wait, I'll see who that is. Yes, Barkley? Here's the girl, Inspector. Claire Beekman. Oh. Come in, Miss Beekman. This officer told me about Eddie. Yes. I wanted to... Haven't I seen you before, Miss Beekman? I was questioned at police headquarters once. Oh. Dr. Ordway, you happen to this girl? I don't think so. Tell me, Miss Beekman, how did you come to be mixed up with the dead man? Eddie Brookleaf. Well, I was with Eddie this evening. Yes? After dinner, he drove me home in a taxi. Dropped me at my house, and then he went on in the same taxi. Look, Inspector. How much longer are you going to keep me stuck away in there? Her! Oh, so you know this man, do you? Oh, she don't know me, Inspector. I've never seen her before in my life. Herb, you shouldn't have done it. Eddie was looking for you. He had your money. He did everything he could find I don't know what you're talking about. I know very well what she's talking about, Herb. I remember now. She's the girl I questioned after your arrest. Let me see. Yes, more than five years ago. No, Miss Speakman. No, no, please, Doctor. I can't say anything more. Herb, I remember you were released on parole. You violated your parole the first day you got out by not reporting to the parole board. All right. All right, Dr. Ordway. Send me back to serve the rest of my stretch. Nobody's going to pin a murder rap on me. How did it happen that you were caught coming out of this house at the time of the shooting? I told the inspector. Picked up a key that somebody dropped coming out of a nightclub. Taxi driver who took the man home told me who he was. I come up here to give him the key. Did you know Eddie Brookleaf? No. No, I didn't. Miss Speakman, is that true? Oh, please don't ask me anything more, Dr. Ordway. We can wait until later, Dr. Ordway, before questioning her. Very well, Inspector. Now, Herb, what happened after you got to the house? I started down the hallway towards the back to find the stairs going down to Janitor's apartment. I wanted to describe the man who lost the key and ask the janitor if he could... Tell me who he was from the description. Where is the key you found? The inspector's gun. That's right, but it doesn't fit any door in this apartment, Dr. Orway. Well, he might have been carrying the key to some other apartment. That could be. Now, did you see the janitor? No, I didn't. As I walked down the hall, the door to this apartment was suddenly open. The man, well, I didn't know at the time, but it turned out afterward that he was the one I come to see. He stood in the doorway and shouted to somebody in the room to get out of the place. Then I heard a shot, and I saw the man in the doorway lurch forward and fall on the floor. Heard footsteps running towards the back, and so I ran out of the house. Herb, it couldn't possibly be, could it, that the dead man was your confederate in the crime for which you were sent to prison? I told you at the time I was innocent. I was innocent. I presume you also maintain you're innocent of the killing of Eddie Brookley. I certainly do. Did you see the man who you say shot him? No, I didn't. He could have got out through the fair window, couldn't he? Was there anyone besides you in the hallway at the time the shot was fired? I didn't see nobody. That's why you think the story you told can't be contradicted. 
But let me tell you, in making your explanation, you overlooked one piece of evidence that fastens the crime on you beyond the shadow of a doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, in exactly 57 seconds, Dr. Ordway will be back to tell you the piece of evidence overlooked by the suspect. In the meantime, I don't remember who said it is always darkest just before the day dawneth, but I want to borrow that thought for a moment for your comfort and for our own. We know you can't get Philip Morris every time you ask for that. Perhaps not yesterday or today, but perhaps tomorrow you will. Just remember. Philip Morris is still America's finest cigarette. Remember, too, that billions of Philip Morris are going where both you and we want them to go, to our fighting men and women around the world, a contribution you gladly make to bring a little comfort to some American overseas. And the day is coming when, again, you can have and enjoy Philip Morris to your heart's content. So join Johnny's call for Philip Morris. Made by Americans for Americans to suit American taste. Philip Morris, America's finest popular price cigarette. We now return you to Dr. Ordway, the Philip Morris crime doctor. Now, you said, Dr. Ordway, that this suspect, Herb, overlooked one little detail that fastens the crime on him. Yes, Inspector. He admitted that he was the only one in the hallway when the shot was fired. I told you. It was fired by somebody in the room. That's the little detail you overlooked, Herb. By your own admission, you saw Eddie standing in the doorway. Yes. The bullet that went through his body was found in the room, four feet from where the dead was lying. If he had been shot from the room, the bullet would have been found in the hallway. No, Herb, he was shot by someone outside the apartment as he opened the door, and that's why the bullet was found in the room. Now look, Inspector. Now hold it, Herb, hold it. My duty to warn you, anything you say may be used against you. Because I'm holding you on suspicion of murder. Oh! Oh, hello, you! What are you doing, Jean? Mixing Mr. Albertson's medicine. I heard him come in. Yeah, I just brought him back. Yeah, I'm getting sick of driving that old bird around. No matter how I drive the car, it ain't right. If I drive slow, I get balled out for crawling along. If I go fast, I get called down for speed. Well, the doctor said he must be driven carefully and avoid any jolting to him. I sure could have given him a jolt in the eye this afternoon. You know what he said to me? He said if it wasn't for my wife, he'd fire me today. So now I'm holding down my job because you're working for him. Look, Bob, we don't have to work in the same place. If you don't like it here, why don't you find yourself another job? Look, baby, the war will be over soon. There'll be plenty of chauffeurs around looking for jobs. Besides, we've worked in the same places together since we were married. And that's how it's going to stay. Jean? Jean? Yes, sir, I'll be right in. He's calling for his medicine. I've got to go. Didn't Bob tell you I was back? Yes, sir. It took me a few moments to mix the medicine. Oh. Ready for it? Oh, I'm never ready to swallow the darn stuff. Oh. oh, come on now. You know you've got to take it. Here. Oh, well. Oh. <laughs> you should be used to it by now. You try taking it for a year. Doesn't get any better with time. I'm wondering, too, if it really is doing me any good. 
Wow, you haven't had an attack in nearly a month now. Jean, I... I've been waiting to ask you something, Jean. I don't think Bob is very happy here. I'm sure he's not good for me. His driving makes me nervous. I was wondering if I decided to let him go. Would you feel that you had to leave with him? No, sir. I like it here. Thank you, Jean. I'm very pleased to hear that. I'll be there in a minute, Mac. Uh, are you a science bomb? Yeah, like I was saying, Charlie. You can't depend on women. There's no loyalty among them. Now, you take my wife. Oh, your wife. So that's what's the matter. Yeah, huh? You know what she's done? Now, what? She lets the boss fire me and she goes right on working for him. She ain't even unhappy about it. Oh, gee, Bob, that's tough. Uh, 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 give me another drink, huh? Uh, make, make it a double. Oh, no, no. Drinking ain't gonna bring your wife back, Bob. You know, if she was my wife, I'd go there and get her if I had to drag her out with her hair. Yeah. Hey, that's right. That's just what I'm gonna do. Drag her out with her hair. Get in here. Come on, you. Come on, get in there. Come on, don't argue with me. You can't lock me up. Get in there. All right. What's the matter, Riley? Drunk and disorderly. Sergeant, this is an outrage. A man's got a right to go see his own wife without having the door slammed in his place. That's what she's done. I mean, that's just what she's done. What did he do? Threw a brick through the window when she wouldn't let him in. What's your name, mister? What do you want to know for? I'm signing you in for the night. Excuse me, Mr. Albertson. Yes, Jean? That lawyer who telephoned is here. Well, I can come in. Will you come in, Mr. Moran? Thank you. Oh, uh, don't go, Jean. Yes, sir. I presume you're Mr. Albertson? Yes. I represent Mr. Mason, uh, this young lady's husband. Yes. Well, I don't understand, Mr. Moran, why my husband should want you to see Mr. Albertson. Well, my client believes he has some sort of a grievance against Mr. Albertson. He feels that he's responsible for breaking up his home. Bob broke it himself by his own conduct. <laughs> that would be for a court to determine. Mr. Mason is suffering great anguish of mind. And if Mr. Albertson is in any wise responsible, Look, Mr. I... Moran, I consented to see you because I thought I might help to straighten out the situation between Jean and her husband. Jean tells me she will not live with him again. She intends to obtain a divorce. So I understand. And my client feels, Mr. Albertson... That you have persuaded her to take the step. That's not true. I've interested myself in this matter, Mr. Moran, for purely selfish reasons. Mrs. Mason has no evidence with which to obtain a divorce in this state. I've told her that. She insists that she'll go to some other state to obtain it, but she's my nurse and I can't spare her. I told her if she could arrange with her husband for him to obtain the divorce in another state... Yes. I'd be willing to pay his expenses and, in addition... Give him a sum of money. Well, Mr. Albertson, that seems like a reasonable suggestion. I'll talk it over with my client. Three grand? Three thousand bucks? Is that all you could get out of him, Archie? Yes, Bob, yes. 
He says that includes the divorce expenses. Why the old cheapskate? Well, better take it, Bob. I got his check. I'll cash it and we'll split it. Fifteen hundred for you, fifteen hundred for me. Where do you come in for half? Look, I could get into a bad jam going up there and posing as a lawyer. I took a big chance. Uh, maybe I should have got a real lawyer. No lawyer could do for you what I'm going to do if you sit tight and follow what I tell you. You're not going to Reno and you're not going to get any divorce. You're going to lay low for six weeks. And if things happen as I think they will, brother, we're both going to be in the big dump. <laughs> Yes? I just thought I'd phone you and let you know I'm leaving for Reno tonight. I'll be back in six weeks with a decree. Jolly, I'm buying a drink for the house. I'm celebrating. Oh, yeah, what? Hey, Bob. What are you doing in here? Oh, now watch. You look at here. Fool. Supposed to be in Reno. Come on, I'm taking you out of here. Proceeding started. We'll keep you informed. Signed, Bob. Yeah, there's the first telegram we'll send her, Bob. Yeah, but how are you going to send it from Reno? I got a friend of mine working out there. <laughs> Yes? I'm back from Reno, Jean. I suppose you'll be glad to hear I've got the divorce. Thank you, Bob. It was nice of you to phone me. Uh, what are your plans? Oh, I've got my plans. Don't worry about me. Goodbye. Who was it, Jean? Bob called me. He's back from Reno. He got the divorce. I'm free. I'm glad to hear it, my dear. Now I feel free to speak to you. Yes? I've grown very fond of you, Jean. I know I'm much older than you, but I hope you've grown to like me a little. I like you a lot, Mr. Alton. I'd like to feel that we could be together always. Do you think you care enough for me to be my wife? What? Look, there it is. They were married, all right. I told you they'd do it. They didn't waste any time. No. Hey, where's that phony decree you took up to show her? Oh, I got it. Well, let me have it. Oh, I'm going to tear it up right here and now, fling the pieces out the window. <laughs> oh, boy, are we sitting pretty. <laughs> Before continuing with the Philip Morris crime doctor... You all remember the old saying which goes, For want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, a horse was lost. Such a small difference. But because of it, an important battle in some old-time war was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. Yes, differences sometimes bring tremendous results. For example, in cigarettes, there is weighty scientific proof that Philip Morris cigarettes are vastly different. I refer to the findings of distinguished doctors in repeated clinical tests, findings which show that when smokers change to Philip Morris, 
substantially every case of irritation of the nose and throat due to smoking either cleared up completely or definitely improved. These findings were reported in a leading medical journal for the information of doctors. Now it's true. You enjoy Philip Morris for the grand flavor and aroma of the world's finest tobacco. But extra protection is an added enjoyment. In this cigarette, proved less irritating, safer for the nose and throat. No curative power is ever claimed for Philip Morris, but an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yes, differences change results. Philip Morris' superiority is recognized by eminent medical authority. No other cigarette can make that statement. We now continue with the Philip Morris Crime Doctor. Come in. There's a man to see you, Mrs. Albertson. Who is it, Mary? Mr. Moran. Mr. Moran? Don't you remember, dear? He's the lawyer who arranged the Reno matter with Bob. Oh, yes, yes. Ask him to come in. Yes, ma'am. Will you go in, please? Perfecto. Oh. Oh, excuse me, Mrs. Albertson. Could could I see you alone, please? I have a little matter to discuss. Well, I'm sure there's nothing we have to discuss. My husband can't hear. Well, it's going to be rather embarrassing to speak before him. I'm sure, Mr. Moran, that my wife has no secrets from me. Very well. The matter I came about concerns Mrs. Albertson's marriage to you, sir. Yes. What about it? Well, I... I learned a very astonishing thing this morning. Your marriage is illegal. What? How do you mean? Bob came to see me the other day. He said he was broke, needed some money. Sort of incidentally, he mentioned that he'd never been to Reno and never obtained a divorce. Why, that's never impossible. Be... I have telegrams he sent me from Reno. Yes, he said that he had some friend of his working out there to send you the telegrams. I couldn't believe he was speaking the truth, so I wired the clerk of the court out there for a copy of the divorce record. I got his answer this morning, and here it is. May I see it? Oh, certainly, Dalton. Hmm. No record of Mason versus Mason in the court files. I thought it was my duty to bring the facts to your knowledge, Mrs. Alberton. I can't understand Bob doing a thing like that. No, I couldn't understand it either at first, but I see his purpose now. Over the telephone this morning, he used the word bigamy. Bigamy? He must be out of his mind. He showed Jean the divorce decree. I had him come here on purpose to show it to me. Well, if he ever showed you such a decree, Mrs. Alberton, I'm sure it was not genuine. But, 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 but this is shocking, Mr. Moran. What can we do about it? Sorry, I can't advise you. I can only tell you that I've had great difficulty in preventing Bob from complaining to the authorities. You mean that he is contemplating making a charge of bigamy against my wife? Feels his wife wronged him. And he's desperate for money, Mr. Alberton. Oh, that's it. Hmm. He sent you up here to arrange another settlement. I'm simply acting in the capacity of a friend. Whose friend? I am sorry for Mrs. Alberton. I, uh, I can't understand Bob needing money this soon. $3,000 doesn't last long these days. Well, <clears throat> did he tell you what he did with the additional 47000 that I paid him? What? I thought you knew. The day he got his divorce, I paid him the additional money. 
to round out the 50,000 I said I'd let him have. Oh, so when did you make that deal with him? Why, I spoke to him before he presumably left the Reno. I made him the offer to make it worth his while to expedite the divorce. <laughs> Certainly all news to me. I, I'm going to see Bob right away. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Moran. Dear, I didn't know you paid Bob all that money. Neither did I. But you told Mr. Moran. Yes, I know, dear. It's very obvious he and Bob are working in cahoots. Well, <laughs> when they get through fighting over the money Bob didn't get, I think we'll have all the facts in back of their duplicity. <laughs> I put that gun away. I tell you, the guy's a liar. I never got no 47 grand for You're going to pay me my half share or not? How many times must I tell you? All I got was the dough you brought. How many times must I tell you? You're a liar. Why would I double cross? To chip me out of my share. Now, for the last time, are you going to pay me or not? Now, look, I... Yes I... or no? I'm trying to... Yes or no? I can't pay you what I... Uh, uh... I'm giving it to you straight, Inspector. I shot him in self-defense. Man's got a right to shoot in self-defense. Yes, that's right. He has, Moran, if his life is in danger. My life is in danger, all right. You'd think yours was too, Inspector, if a man stood four feet away from you pointing a gun at you. I'd like to ask you, Moran. Yes, Dr. Ordway. Just where were you standing? And where was your friend Bob at the time of the shooting? I was standing right over there near the wall. Bob was about in the middle of the room. How did he come to be pointing a gun at him? He had a quarrel over money. He got angry and suddenly pulled a gun and fired. The bullet passed over my shoulder and lodged in the wall. Before he could fire a second shot, I had my gun out and let him have it. He fell to the floor. I ran out to call a policeman, but there were people in the hall, and they followed me down the street till I found a cop. And that's the truth. It's a crime, Doctor. Whether you believe me or not. Oh, uh, Jackson. Jackson, when you got here, what did you find? The uh, dead man was lying in the middle of the room. According to the medical examiner, 32 caliber bullet had shattered his spine and lodged in his lung. 38 caliber pistol was lying near his hand, and the uh, second pistol, 32 caliber, was on the floor near the wall. One shot had been fired from each of the guns. Uh, Jackson, what was the caliber of the bullet in the wall? Uh, well, that was 38. And how far from the dead man's hand did you say the thirty-eight caliber pistol was lying? Oh, I should say about an inch from the right hand. How far from the wall was the thirty-two caliber pistol lying? Uh, all the, the butt of the pistol was touching the wall. Touching the wall. In what direction was the barrel pointing? Pointing toward the dead man. See. Jackson, did you question any of the people who heard the shots? Oh, yes, sir. They all there, they heard two shots. Some say there was a difference of five seconds between the two shots. Others say the second shot came fully ten or fifteen seconds after the first. Well, what do you say about that, Moran? I fired right after Bob fired at me. I didn't count the second. Now, Moran. Yes, Dr. Ordway. You told the inspector that you and the dead man quarreled over money. That's right. I accused Bob of holding out of me in a deal we were in. We denied it and I called him a liar. That's what started the fight. What sort of a deal was it? I acted for him in negotiating a settlement for his domestic affairs. 
He and his wife agreed to get a divorce so she could marry the man she was working for. Bob didn't have any money, and I arranged for the settlement with Mr. Albertson. That's the wife's employer. How much did Mr. Albertson pay? $50,000. Bob and I agreed we would split the money, 50-50. We claimed he only got $3,000. Is that why you killed him? I told you why I killed him. In self-defense. Nevertheless, Moran, the fact remains that your life never was in danger. <laughs> There's a bullet hole right there in the wall to prove he fired at me. No, Moran, that shot was never fired at you. You wanted it to appear that way as confirmation of the story you brought up. But unfortunately for you, you overlooked one little detail that proves conclusively your shooting of Bob was an act of cold-blooded murder. Ladies and gentlemen, in exactly 59 seconds, Dr. Ordway, the Philip Morris crime doctor, will be back. The catches a little detail overlooked by the suspect. Holy Inspector, that you and the dead man quarreled over money. That's right. I accused Bob of holding out on me in a deal we were in. He denied it, and I called him a liar. That's what started the fight. What sort of a deal was it? I acted for him in negotiating a settlement for his domestic affairs. He and his wife agreed to get a divorce so she could marry the man she was working for. Bob didn't have any money, and I arranged for the settlement with Mr. Albertson. That's the wife's employer. How much did Mr. Albertson pay? $50,000. Bob and I agreed we were to split the money 50-50. He claimed he only got $3,000. Is that why you killed him? I told you why I killed him. In self-defense. Nevertheless, Moran, the fact remains that your life never was in danger. <laughs> There's a bullet hole right there in the wall to prove he fired at me. No, Moran, that shot was never fired at you. You wanted it to appear that way as confirmation of the story you thought up. But unfortunately for you, you overlooked one little detail that proves conclusively your shooting of Bob was an act of cold-blooded murder. Ladies and gentlemen, in exactly 59 seconds, Dr. Ordway, the Philip Morris crime doctor, will be back to tell you the little detail overlooked by the suspect. In the meantime, maybe it happened yesterday or today. You asked for Philip Morris, and your dealer hasn't yet. He can't help. Neither can we. Because we're providing all the Philip Morris humanly possible. But perhaps tomorrow your dealer will have Philip Morris. The day is coming when, once again, when you call for Philip Morris, you'll get Philip Morris. And once again, you'll smoke and enjoy the cigarette that gives extra pleasure plus extra protection. Remember, too, that package of Philip Morris you fail to get today gone to some fighting American overseas. It's a contribution you are making to the comfort of some man or woman in our armed forces. So, always remember, Johnny's call for Philip Morris, made by Americans, for Americans, to suit American taste. Philip Morris, America's finest popular price cigarette. <laughs> We now return you to Dr. Ordway, the Philip Morris crime doctor. Well, now, Dr. Ordway, you mentioned a little detail that was overlooked by this suspect, Archie Moran. Yes, Inspector. He made a fatal mistake in telling how the murdered man was killed. The facts contradict the story told by this suspect. The facts are just as I told them, Dr. Ordway. In order to fire at you, Bob would have had to stand facing you. Who said he wasn't facing me? He couldn't have been Moran, because the bullet that killed him shattered his 
fried and lodged in his lungs. That means the bullet entered his back. After you killed him, you heard people in the hallway, so you got Bob's gun and fired a shot into the wall. I don't care what you say, Doctor. Hold it, Moran. Hold it, will you? I want to... Oh, oh, yes. Yes, come right in, Mrs. Albertson. I, uh, I had one of my men telephone to you. Yes, he asked me to come down here, Inspector. He said Bob had been killed. Yes, that's true. Mrs. Albertson, do you know this man? Yes, he's Mr. Moran. He came to our house today and said a divorce which Bob obtained was fraudulent. He hinted Bob needed money. Yes, and you bear me out, Mrs. Albertson. Your husband told me he had paid Bob $47,000 besides the three grand he gave me for Bob. Well, $50,000 was a large settlement to make. Oh, my husband didn't pay the other $47,000. What's that? He only told Mr. Moran he had. Well, why did he tell him that? Thought if he could get two thieves quarreling among themselves, the truth might come out. Hey, wait a minute. You mean Bob never got the 47000 No, he didn't. Why, that old liar, I... Hold it, Moran, hold it. It's my duty to warn you anything you say may be used against you. Because pending further investigation, I'm holding you on suspicion of murder. This is Johnny again, returning now to the thousands of store windows and counters all over America. Look for me. I'll be waiting for you. Come in and... Criminals, I say. Mates, I bring you some extremely old, 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 old Time Radio episodes from the series The Crime Doctor. Episode number one and number two, which are not only difficult to repair, like I mean really difficult, but also super duper rare. There are only a couple episodes around the web, and all of them are in abysmal quality. Two classics, heavily cared for and repaired, covering topics involving betrayals, love, arguments over thousands of dollars, and of course, a private eye investigating it all. Where would we be without a detective running the show? Now, what makes this so special is because the quality is severely damaged, meaning it required me to deploy multiple techniques to even make it audible. The audio required resulted in actual repairing in stages at a data level and led me to literally stitch content together. I must admit, these aren't everyone's cup of teas, these OTRs that is, especially these older and more damaged types, but they are being preserved nonetheless and free for your lovely ears. Plus, archived audio from almost a hundred years ago, of which are only made possible by those awesome enough to support me. Which leads me to my awesome people. My first supporter I want to thank is my old night tea titan, Matto Star. Thank you for your legendary contribution to the podcast and your never-ending awesomeness when it comes to support, kindness, and communications. I received your email, mate, and rest assured this weekend, I'll be putting time aside to respond to your lovely self. I spent the last week in Dunsborough, Bunbury, and Bosselton, so I have loads to share with you. So keep an eye out for my email this weekend, mate. You awesome person, you. Thank you for being a legend, Matto Star, and never you forget it. Thanks, pal. And my white tea warlord, Leza of Laser City, thank you, you amazing person, you, for your contribution and your lovely self that always supports the podcast and, of course, me. Leza, I hope you have a wonderful week ahead of yourself and that nothing but awesomeness heads your way. Please say good day to your lovely partner, 
And high five and hugs for you, buddy. You are brilliant and thank you once again. Cheers, mate. And of course, my super mega tea enforcers, those people that kicks out me every Monday, I'm lucky to have supporting me. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, divided by zero. Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Solstra, and Paige Kramer. Also, this goes out to all patrons and listeners. You can hop onto my Patreon and cast your vote in my weekly Patreon page poll. Mid-Journey Madness, this is where I put up some prompts, so some text. You vote, and we'll see what the AI makes. Again, for anyone interested in becoming a Patreon, visit www.patreon.com and become a legend. You know you want to. Go on. <laughs> now, when you find that right story, the one that's hunky-dory, the page that strikes you deeply, where the feelings reside sweetly, it's the storyteller's job to bring those thoughts to life. And I'm thankful for the time you spent and my chance to spark that light. Thank you, you amazing listeners, my friends and my supporters alike, for your time today and the next, until next time, good night.